Amen. We could go home right now and say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. And yet we get the opportunity to share in the greatest story that's ever happened to mankind. We get the opportunity this morning to share about the empty tomb. To share about what that means and to, to see the lives that it affected. This morning as we think about Easter, it is about an empty tomb. Easter is about the fulfillment of a mission. Easter is about victory over sin and death. And victory is about us having hope and us having assurance of life everlasting through faith in Jesus Christ. And without an empty grave, those would all just be empty promises. And yet they're not because Jesus Christ is alive today. Simply, though, Jesus had to die for our sins because we needed a Savior. Jesus Christ was buried in the grave because sin requires the supreme sacrifice. Jesus Christ rose again, though, because Jesus is God the Son, and we are called to serve a living Savior. This morning, we're going to look at several different people associated with the Easter account, if you will. And I want to remind us that Jesus Christ is the center of all that we're going to talk about. He is the center of today, if you will. It is because of His resurrection that we are gathered here together and that we can have joy and we can sing songs of hope and praise and assurance. It's all because of Him. And yet we're going to look around at some other people's lives when they first heard the news about Jesus Christ being risen. We're going to look at people's lives, a few people's lives, whenever they were standing there watching Jesus be crucified and the, the accounts that happened after that. The world needs to hear those messages as well. Because we live in a world today where people don't always understand what the resurrection means. People don't understand why we come together together and celebrate. Many times when people think about church today, when they think about us gathering today and the things that we're going to talk about, the message of Christ can seem judgmental to the world. When people hear the standard that, that God has called us to, they look and say, are you saying, preacher, something's wrong with me? Are you saying I'm not living the way I'm supposed to? And yet Jesus Christ died because there was sin. Jesus Christ had to die because sin was so great and, and so such an affront to God. We live in a world today where the message of Christ is difficult sometimes for the world to understand. When you hear the word faith, sometimes people don't grasp exactly what that means. I grew up my whole life hearing the word faith in church. And it sounds like one of those really good churchy words. But I never could really tell you exactly what that meant. And I heard a pastor one time, and he gave this definition. And he had one word for each letter. There's a special name for that in English, but I have no idea what it is. But he said, faith, forsaking all, I take him. I thought that was one of the best definitions of faith I had ever heard. Forsaking all, I take him. Forsaking everything in this world, I want Christ more than anything else. And for people in the world, sometimes that's hard to understand. How could you give up everything? Because he gave everything for me. And because I need everything from him. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. The message of Christ, Christ and his resurrection, seems impossible to so many people today. How in the world can somebody be risen from the dead? And yet my hope is based upon those promises. 
My hope is based upon that reality that we serve a risen Savior. For all of the hopeless that we see in the world today, and look around, there's plenty of it. For all of the doubts, for all of the fears, and for all of the failures that we see around us in our world today, in our community, in our county, sometimes even in our homes, I want to remind each one of us that we're not the first ones to go through these things. We're not the first ones to have struggles in this life. We're not the first ones to have problems and trials and tribulations. And this morning as we go through the Easter story, we're going to look at some of the people's lives that had struggles. We're going to look at some of the people's lives who said, this is not going the way I thought it was going to. This didn't turn out like I had hoped. You know, when I was about 18 years old, I thought I knew everything. I thought I had everything figured out. I knew exactly how my life was going to go. I was going to be a lawyer. So my wife married me. She said, I'm marrying a lawyer. I can't wait. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> there are other things that happen in our life that sometimes we think, I know what's going to happen. And yet it doesn't turn out just like we think it is. We're not the first ones that have to face those things. We're not the first ones that, that go through trials and tribulations. If you look with me in John chapter number 19, <coughs> excuse me, John chapter number 19 and verse number 38, we are looking at the account after Jesus Christ has been crucified. And you can go through and I invite you to read those different accounts in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can see the horrific way that Christ suffered for us, for me, and for you. And yet after all the suffering, after everything, there was work to do. There were things that they wanted to do to, to honor him and to, to do things properly, I guess you might say. And we find this account here, and we're introduced to a couple of people that we've heard of before, but it says this in John chapter 19 in verse number 38. It says, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, which was the place that he was from, being a disciple of Jesus. That sounds like a great thing there. But then it adds something else. It says, but secretly, for fear of the Jews. This man besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. He wanted to take it down and to, to treat it properly. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. Verse number 39 says this, And there came also Nicodemus which at the first came to Jesus by night. We find him in John chapter number 3. It says, And brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes and the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden a new sepulcher, meaning a grave, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus. Therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Now, we see that we're introduced to a couple of people there right off the bat. We're introduced to Joseph of Arimathea, and we're also introduced to Nicodemus, who both of those we find a little bit earlier in the scriptural accounts. One of those men had probably spent a lot of time talking to Jesus and yet both of those men knew exactly who Jesus was. They had been talking to him. They did not understand everything about him, but they were very familiar with him. They knew his teachings. They knew his life. No doubt they had seen his love. 
They might have seen him heal people, touch people, and do great and amazing things. Yet, when we read about who they were, we find out that they were good people, and yet they lacked some understanding. They had some struggles or some, some different trials, if you will. Joseph of Arimathea is described in the Scriptures as being a rich man. He's described as being someone who was a, a member of the council, perhaps the Sanhedrin. But we find here, for all of the great things he has going for him, he's also afraid. He's a disciple of Christ who is afraid. Money and prestige can't, bri can't buy us courage. It can't always build up our faith. We also see Nicodemus who was a ruler of the Jews, someone else of, of some uh, reputation, if you will. He recognized much about Jesus Christ, which we already talked about, and yet he had a lot of questions. He didn't understand everything. He seemed to lack an understanding of, of even the most basic of things. And yet here he was coming back to help Jesus. Someone who had perhaps little faith, but a lot of love. Both men along with others, help to get the body down and prepare it. And I can't help but think what a devastating day that must have been. They probably thought, wow, this is, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. What an awful thing this is. And no doubt this was probably a very somber time for them. You know, today we come in celebration. I, I was back there shaking a little bit earlier. Everybody was smiling. We were taking pictures. And, and everybody was like, Happy Easter. Or even some people say Merry Easter. We come and we celebrate together, just, just all smiles. And yet at this time, these people wouldn't have been smiling. How could this have happened? Would have no doubt been the thoughts that would have been going through their mind. And yet, I want to share something with you. Just like back then, there's hope around the corner if you're going through a trial this morning. Just like for these two men that we just met, it seemed hopeless and yet it was far from hopeless. Today as we go through trials and tribulations, sometimes it can feel like we're almost drowning. It can feel like our problems are up over, to he up over our head. And like, what in the world am I going to do? Yet it's not hopeless. And we're introduced to that in uh, John chapter number 20, in verse number 1 and 2, just a short three days later. It says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher or the grave, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Verse number 2 says, Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them. Now, I want you to notice what she says. She doesn't say, Wow, Jesus Christ is resurrected. What a glorious day. She says, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, out of the grave. And we know not where they have laid him. No doubt for her, this was a trying time. As we are introduced to somebody else in this story, Mary Magdalene has had many things imagined or conjectured about her through the years. Some people have thought that perhaps she was a former prostitute, but the scriptures don't tell us that. Some people have thought that perhaps she was the woman that was caught in adultery that Jesus saved, and yet we don't find that in the scriptures either. What we do find is, is that she was a woman who had seven demons cast out of her. She was probably a woman who had a few means because she was able to help Jesus along in, her ministry, in his ministry. 
we find that she was alone there for a lot of very important things, including when he was crucified and when he was buried. And we find her today in this account bringing spices and coming to see the tomb. And she screams out, it's empty. Just like what we talked about here. You can imagine, it's empty. And she runs and she tells Simon Peter. There's somebody else we're introduced to. Do you remember who Simon Peter is? He's the guy who said, Jesus, I'll follow you no matter what. And yet when the things got rough, when it came to the crucifixion, he's the one that denied Christ three times. That same Peter, she was running to him, scared, thinking, what'd they do with Jesus' body? She runs to him. That guy that failed so greatly, there he is. We also go ahead and, and read on where she runs to talk to John, the one, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. We know from other accounts that talking about John, you know what John did? He also ran away. Just like all of the other disciples. They were not expecting, if you will, a resurrection. They thought he had just gone, that perhaps his body was stolen, or perhaps someone had moved it. If you go ahead and read the rest of the accounts, she thinks maybe the gardener may have moved it. That something could have happened. It's not till later on that an angel tells her, he's not here, he's resurrected. It's not till later on that she gets that good news. Yet there was a time when no doubt they were worried. They were concerned. They thought, oh my goodness, how in the world did this ever, ever happen? If we go ahead and finish the rest of the story, and I won't read through the scripture for you, but Peter and John come running, and they see the empty tomb and the grave clothes, and still they lacked an understanding. Still they didn't quite get it. So much so that the disciples just went home. You ever just get so discouraged you just want to go home? You ever get so discouraged you just want to throw your arms up? Say, I don't know what else to do. I'm just finished. I'm just going to sit here and wait for things to get better. That's kind of what I picture. They might have had a clue about what was, what was happening, and yet they didn't quite understand everything, and it was very, very discouraging for them. That same evening, they're all gathered together. Not just those two, uh, Peter and John, but also the other disciples except for Thomas. And they're gathered together in, in a group, and they're kind of hiding if you want to know the truth. They're in a room there because they have a fear of the Jews. This has been a busy weekend for them, if you will. You know, sometimes I think I've got busy weekends. I think I've got a lot of things going through my mind or a lot of things on my heart. And yet these were men who had given everything to follow Jesus Christ. And they stand there and they watch him get arrested. And they forsake him. And then they see him crucify him. And then they come back to his grave, and he's gone. They go back home. I don't know what they're talking about, but I can imagine them sitting around like, what in the world's happening? What a weekend it's been, and not in a good way, but a terrifying way. What are we going to do now? Have you ever felt hopeless? Have you ever felt like the problems are so big? What am I going to do? I see it in these people that we're talking about. I see that that would be so easy for them to fall into that. And we actually probably see what ourselves, at least for me, myself, one man in particular. And we're going to see his account as John. 
chapter number 20 and verse number 24. And this is Thomas. And actually, Thomas kind of gets a bad rap. This is usually when you hear Thomas, you call him Doubting Thomas, don't you? That's kind of something that's, that's even been incorporated into our language. And yet, he wasn't the only one that doubted. Everybody didn't run and go, wow, Jesus Christ is resurrected. This is great. A lot of people go, he's gone. Somebody stole his body. What are we going to do? But he's the one that I guess you could say doubted the most or doubted in the, the most visible way. And it says this in verse number 24, but Thomas, <coughs> excuse me, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. Wow, what a change. They, they've gotten a little bit of hope because Jesus came to see them where they were at. No doubt they were excited. And I can, I can hear them telling Thomas the story. You wouldn't believe what happened. You wouldn't believe what we saw. I can imagine they were talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. Everywhere, it was probably everything. Oh my goodness, what does this mean? How exciting this is going to be? And things began to click in their minds. But he says, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. I want to go ahead and remind you that when Jesus comes into your life, peace comes into your life. When he comes in among the things going on in your world, he brings peace to the things in your world. It doesn't mean that all your problems go away. It doesn't mean that you don't have any struggles or trials, but you have a peace and a joy. And we see this here. When he comes in to his disciples, to his inner circle, he says, peace be unto you. Church, he's just the same today. Then he saith to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. I can imagine Thomas. I saw a painting years ago from the, probably the 16th, 17th century. And it's a, it's a, a picture of what's supposed to be Jesus standing there. And, and there's this man examining the holes in his side and in his hand. And he's really looking closely to see if that's exactly who it is. I never can get that image out of my mind because he wants to look and see. He wants to feel and see. He says, I can't just take your word for it. I got to see. And he does that and he examines and he looks and it says, and then in verse number 28, and Thomas answered and said unto him, I can imagine the tears flowing. I can imagine the joy. He says, my Lord and my God. It wasn't just, oh, it's you. Hmm. I guess you guys were right. My Lord, my God, these people that had given everything for him. Thomas, when he saw that it was his Savior, I imagine he was overwhelmed with joy. Verse number 29 says this, And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. He tells him, he says, Peter, or he says, excuse me, Thomas, good for you. You saw me and you believed. Fantastic. 
But not everybody's going to get this chance. Not everybody's going to be able to stick their finger in the, in the handprints. Not everybody's going to get to inspect my side and see where the spear was, was thrust in and taken out. And he said, blessed are those people. I think about blessed are those even more who have not seen and yet put their faith and trust in this. Put their faith and trust in me. You know what I realize? I'm that guy who didn't get to touch the handprint, who didn't get to see the side, and yet I get the opportunity to put my faith in Jesus Christ and his great and wonderful sacrifice. I get that chance today. Even 2,000 years later, I have a chance. You know what? When I look back over my life, I realize that there have been times when I doubted. There have been times when I feared. There have been times when I wondered. There have been times when I failed greatly. All the people, though, that we read about in connection with this story, about Jesus' resurrection, they all had a struggle in some way, too. We forget that Jesus Christ comes to save broken people. Jesus Christ comes to fix broken lives. Jesus Christ comes to put back together things that are a mess. Joseph of Arimathea, the guy that was the secret disciple, if you will, for fear of the Jews, he was afraid to own up and say, I'm following Jesus Christ. We find him giving Jesus his new tomb. You know what? Christ's death had an impact on him. It's still changing lives today. We see Nicodemus, perhaps the guy who was confused, a little unsure. He's the one that came to Jesus and he said, how do I get to be in the kingdom of God? He said, you've got to be born again. He's like, how in the world can I do that? He said, there's no way I can go back into my mother's womb and be born again. He just didn't understand. And yet we find him coming to Jesus' tomb and helping and loving and serving in a way that no doubt would make the Lord proud. We find Mary Magdalene that we just talked about. She was the one who came to the tomb first, if you will. Someone who was formerly demon-possessed. You got big problems when you're demon-possessed. You got a problem you can't fix yourself. The truth is, if we've got sin, we've got a problem we can't fix ourselves. We need Jesus Christ. Whether it's something big or whether it's something little. But she had what we might call a big problem. We find her grieving. We find her lacking a lot of understanding. And yet, you know what else we read? She was someone who was honored to get to share that wonderful good news of his resurrection. She was someone who got to speak with an angel about what had happened. I can imagine she went from a very broken life to one who was praising the Lord till the day she died. We also find Peter in the story that I just shared with you. He's the one who denied Christ. And yet, you know what? He's in with the 12, with the 11 there together, excuse me. We find John who also ran away. We find both of them coming back. Peter repenting. And John coming back to serve faithfully. Wow. And Thomas, the one we call Doubting Thomas, he had these great big doubts. You might even say stubborn doubts. If you put up the passage of Scripture, it's in John chapter 20 and verse number 25. This was his words. I want to remind it. It says, The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I see the hands and the 
the print of the nails and put the, my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I picture a guy who says, I'm just not going to do it. Stubbornness. I see a lot of stubbornness in the world today. Jesus Christ with his arms wide open, wanting to save a lost and dying world. And people are like, I don't want that. I don't have time for that. Church, we better start making time. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. He's alive. We need to make sure we are about our Father's business. And we take that wonderful, wonderful opportunity He's given us to come and believe upon Him. These people are recorded in Scripture as sometimes having what we might call great failures. Doubt, fear, worry. Terrible things. And yet we see them used by God. We see them serving Christ. We see them finding faith. The point's this. And I want you to think about this very carefully. There is hope for each and every one of us because of Christ's death and resurrection. People ask us why we come together to celebrate today. It's because we have a hope. It's because we have something glorious to share. We have hope like Joseph of Arimathea had of coming out of the shadows and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We have hope like Nicodemus to come and to love and to serve and to understand. We have hope like Mary to overcome grief and a terrible, terrible affliction that was upon her. We have hope like Peter and John to return to service. These were men that had been following God and yet failed spectacularly. Sometimes we fear there's no second chances for us, don't we? Sometimes we think, man, I've made such a, a mess of my life. I have talked to people says, preacher, you don't know what I've been doing. You don't know what I'm involved in. I've heard stories about that. My whole ministry is like, you don't understand what's going on in my life. The truth is this, I don't understand. But I know my God's bigger than all your problems. I know Jesus Christ is bigger than all your sin if you'll just bring it to Him. I know that no matter what it is, whether it's big or whether it's small, I know you need Him. I love to share that when I was growing up, I was a good little boy. My mom's not here to tell that that story's not true, so I'm going to keep telling it. My dad was a Christian, my grandfather was a Christian. My great-grandfather was a Christian. The little church that I went to was named after my grandmother's family. I came from a long line of good Christian folk, if you will. I had a grandmother who taught me to pray when I was little. And I can remember when I wanted to go upstairs and want to take a nap, I wanted to pray. Because I thought, I need to make sure I say this prayer because she made sure that I, I knew I needed that. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. My grandmother showed me that, taught me that little prayer. I came from a really good family, if you will. And yet, you know what? Without Jesus Christ, I was just as lost as the worst person you can think of. I don't care how big your small is, or excuse me, how big or small your sin is, you still need Jesus Christ. 
You still need that hope. You still need that sacrifice. You still need all those things of Christ's death and resurrection. I want hope like Thomas. Who overcame doubt. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, help me to be more faithful. And all of it starts, every bit of this starts with us coming to find Jesus Christ. With us putting our faith in Him and calling upon His name. In the seat before you, we put some Let's Connect cards in there. I have wrestled with what to put on these things for months. Lisa, the secretary here, probably about to kill me if you want to know the truth. I don't know how many times we've redone this. We worked on the picture. We worked on the font. We worked on lining everything up. I hope you think it's pretty. And yet, on the bottom corner was the most important part. Because of all that we worked on, we figured out we left something out. And the bottom part says something that I really want to share with you this morning. It says this, Do you want to make Jesus the subject of your life? You can become a Christian today. We often don't share that, do we? You know, I did a series one time on how to know that you know that you know that you know you're saved. It was a month-long series and I had pages and pages of notes. And I stood up before the congregation one day and I said, I almost want to apologize to you all. I said, because getting saved is not this hard. Of all the notes and all the things that I shared, I had scriptures and I had all kinds of nice little sayings and little stories to help out. But I realized it's not hard to find Jesus Christ. I got saved in 1988. I didn't know what to say. I couldn't think of any scriptures and the preacher didn't come pray with me because there were other people there. But you know what? I knew I was lost and I knew I needed a Savior and I knew Jesus Christ was calling me. I knew that Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit was calling me to come forward. And I got down on my knees and I've shared this many times. I prayed the same little prayer over and over again. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. I probably said it 50 times because I didn't know what else to say. And yet Jesus Christ saw my heart that day. And as a little, young, good boy, Jesus Christ transformed my life because he's still giving people hope, because he's still transforming lives, because he's resurrected and he's still alive. I want to read one more passage. It's Romans chapter number 10, verse number 9. I want to show you just how simple it is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I don't care what's in your past. I don't care how long your past is. I don't care how big your sin is. I don't care how small your sin is. I don't care what other people are saying about you. I want you to bring it to Jesus Christ. Let Him take care of it. Because you can't fix it yourself. But what a simple message this is. It says in, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, there's where the resurrection matters, doesn't it? 
That's why we gather. That's why we come to celebrate. Because he's alive. If I put my faith in him, forsaking all, I take him. Thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Wow. That's for me. Put verse 13 up there if you don't care. I like this last one too. As the song leaders come forward, we're getting ready to give an invitation. But he says something that's very important because some people think they've gone too far. Peter even denied Christ in front of everybody, if you will. John ran away in front of everybody, if you will. And yet they came back because they knew Jesus. You know what I want to tell you about my Jesus? I don't care what it is, where you've been or what happened. The scripture tells us for whosoever, I'm a whosoever. Every single person in here is a whosoever. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Lord's calling you this morning, if you feel that in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit, don't walk out those doors. You can have a resurrection today too. You can go from the old life to the new life. You can have, be a brand new person in Christ. You can go from dead to alive just like Jesus. Church, he's still alive today. He's still calling today. He can still transform life today, including yours. As we get a verse of song, if you have a need, will you come?